You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Hertz here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are here in our final week discussing Maria Angelica Bosco's Death Going Down, an iconic and early Argentinian murder mystery. And Herds, Flex, what's going on? <laughs> I have one word that I think describes my relationship with the end of this book. Complicated? Is it complicated? Abrupt? But it's, it, you could say that that's a simile. Uh, mm-hmm. The word is incongruous. Incongruous. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. This yeah. book, I feel, has a really interesting ending mm-hmm. that is very well written, very compelling, but doesn't quite fit the pieces that were leading into it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure where you're going with that that feeling, but I definitely feel like I go to the end of the book and went, oh, that's that's like, that's the end. Interesting. Oh, okay. (laughs) We we take such a leap off a cliff. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter seven essentially is them looking for the missing man mm-hmm. in the puzzle. There is a character who hasn't really appeared yet at all. Doesn't who is actually a key appear in a way <laughs> to some of the ways that the crimes happened, but also doesn't really seem to matter and no. is just a exploratory vessel for Maria Angelica Bosco to flesh out the other details of the crime. It's, it's absurd. But yes, continue. And then the final chapter is essentially your breakdown scene. Mm -hmm. uh, Delivered in a way that I feel is largely standard, but also kind of bewildering. Mm. And this is where my love-hate relationship with the end of this book begins. Sure. The first time I was reading through this book, I I I found this tipping point at the start of Where is Emilio Vibia? It's this short passage where Bosco basically describes what Emilio Vibia must have been like. You know, he's a man who didn't have any friends. They were only acquaintances. They were well, distant. It, it sounds like we're setting up the true of villain, right? It's like, yeah. ah, yes, the true culprit who we'll reveal as one of the many characters we have seen along the way through this journey. But that is not all the case. In fact, we get a totally dissociated scene about, is it a, a mother and son, I want to say, who are like living in a farmstead? Some nonsense? It's it's crazy. That scene basically is Emilio Vibia is set up with this family uh, while he's been hiding from the law, and they send him off with some money, so he's, like, disappeared from the tale. Sure. But he doesn't really appear. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit weird. They're basically like, here's this character. He was how the crime happened. Also, he's gone now, never to be seen again. We never see him. Sequel bait, maybe. But But here's where the real tipping point happens, Mm -hmm. is immediately after this passage about Vibia, which is, you know, still fits in with the style of the rest of the novel, but is a little off kilter and a little bit more emotive than some of the rest of the writing of the book. We then get into a sort of first-person account of Rita's suicide. Oh, my goodness. It's like poetry almost. (laughs) Like it yeah. hits on the edge. And if you've followed this year on Death of the Reader, you'll know that I love this poetic style of writing. I really enjoyed reading this passage, but it feels so out of place in this book. I think that um, to, to try and put a pin on it in my brain hole, which is what I like to do, I think that the like more ephemeral poetic pieces or the, the strange bits like the, the farmstead with the family and Rita committing suicide. Those are the two bits I think stick out to me the most. They they feel like A, they belong in a different book and B, they feel a bit too mechanical in function for me to like yeah. enjoy them properly. I'm like, wait, isn't this all this like talk of, 
you know, the suicide and, and Rita like seeing the, it's like a ladder or something she sees. And she, she's like, it's my time has come to commit suicide. But it also is like, clearly the author is doing this so that she can't be interrogated. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, it feels a bit Weirdly, off. The words that I kept using to describe this to my friends while I was reading through this book is it felt like someone had inserted a rock opera number <laughs> into the middle of this book. It doesn't read like a rock opera, but my brain was like, there needs to be an epic, like way too many guitars musical score yeah, sure. that underlies this scene and makes it just way more dramatic because that's the way it feels compared to re- the rest of the book. Mm. And there's this weird point for me where I really love the way that it's presented and the styles that it delivers. But I'm also reminded of like, you know, a song that introduces something right at the end of it. And you're like, well, why didn't you put that, you know, earlier in the song? It just feels like it shouldn't be here. It feels like you've tacked on the end of another song. Yeah. There's a few scenes and a few uh, moments and characters that I feel like are given more weight in the way that they're written and they're like final moments and they really deserved. And also some parts of the story that I feel like I was expecting more from, which we kind of drifted away from like muck as a character, which like, yeah, big shame. Big I, I shame. don't know what happened to muck. Like <laughs> the guy just said he wants muck back and then he's gone from the story. And then he was like the best part. He was, I was like, Oh, this, this muck, like he, you know, the, the murder is giving a dog to the detectives. Yeah. And like, surely this is going to be important in some way. Like the dog's going to sniff out the poison or finger the culprit or like, ah, this is the reason you gave us muck to begin with something, anything. But I, I, you're right. Do we even hear anything about Muck after he gets taken back by Adinger? Like, I don't think so. Nope. No, that's very strange. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. I wouldn't be surprised. I couldn't find definitively because trying to Google translate Argentinian <laughs> resources on the internet was giving me headaches. Good luck, good luck. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was the result of serialization in a newspaper because it was still within an era where serialization Uh, would have been a thing it was hard to say for sure i mean but it is really weird how these pieces just don't seem to fit together but still seem to be really cohesive and strong on their own you really feel like the novel is like going somewhere and it is like not not to throw too much shade at this book it's still a great time yeah but there's lots of pieces that i'm like why wasn't this set up properly why is this set up but never paid off? I'm not sure what's going in. Who is this Emilio character? Why is there a love decahedron that is revealed in the final pages of the book? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. My Yeah, we, we'll get to that. And I also do want to say before we continue that the ending of the mystery I did feel is one of the strongest parts of this tale part of the book. Mm. It still ties together all of the actual mystery components. It's just that there are still too many loose threads elsewhere. For sure, for sure, for sure. But we'll, we'll get into that in the, the mystery section. Whoa. I think the other thing that was very interesting getting towards the end of the book stylistically was that there was a lot of the metaphor that I enjoyed at the early part of the book that had been abandoned. And this is a very mm-hmm. similar point, I suppose. The main one that comes to mind and the reason I want to bring it up as sure, its the own flaws. point is because the flaws of the building yeah. was one of my favorite pieces of the introduction of this book because it's so clearly set up who was more suspicious than anyone else. And obviously, in some ways, the ending being subvertive of that yeah. is still an interesting uh, use of that idea that oh maybe it wasn't actually that each floor of the building was more suspicious than the next but it doesn't get resolved so much as shell it feels like that's the, again that like piece of the puzzle isn't used to its fullest potential um which is you know it's fine 
like let, let's be clear like we do get some kind of interesting reveals and the way that the detectives actually expose the criminal at the end is quite fun it's one of those like risky play kind of things <laughs> that, I, that I really enjoy I mean the scene the scene where they give uh, a few of the suspects a script to read mm-hmm. out to reenact the scene <laughs> like, was hilarious like, you young lady play it- the deceased <laughs> Like just read her lines. Yeah, it's like, hello, it's I am Frida Eidinger. <laughs> the dead and person. And they point out yeah. that her like accent's all wrong and she's performing it really flat and well, it's they, really cute. They, and it still works. They even have uh they, they point out the fact that like they do part of the the crime deconstruction downstairs where the media can see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So that it's it's they're they're acting as though like the the pretense here is that they're just doing this as a as a stunt mm. when actually it is the real actual trap to catch the murderer. And that's why the murderer is like off guard because the murderer's like, oh no, the poison lipstick. What if I actually they actually kill someone else with the lipstick? Exactly. And and everything is ruined and I'll have killed someone else who is like I didn't want to kill and like there's a lot uh, probably going through that person's mind. Not that we get to really hear any of it, but <laughs> you can imagine what's going through their minds. Well, yeah. The other thing that's really good about mm. it is that the way that it's delivered in the story because of this kind of be- confusing, bewildering tone towards the end of the book here you are off guard when it happens as well. Mm. So when the book just says, and then the culprit stood up and his plan was ruined because he thought someone else was going to be poisoned. You're like, oh, wait, what? This was a trap? When did that happen? It's cool. It's cool. No, I like that a lot. I I like that Bosco was not like, you know, and now we will let the reader know exactly what's going on for this, like, catch the criminal thing. Um, I like that it's a, a genuine sort of gotcha moment. I think that's really fun. Yeah, definitely. And... It also plays nicely, and this is why 7 and 8, I think, pair really well, even if they don't fit the rest of the book. It fits really nicely with when they're talking, uh, is it with the Inaras, and they just go down a list of evidence. It's like, did you know this? Yes. Did you know this? No. Yes, yes. Oh, Oh, it's it's with uh, Don Augustine first. Beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really good. It it feels like we're, we're actually getting answers to it. It feels like you can trust these people's answers that they're giving you because mm. it's we're in the second last chapter of the book and it feels really tense yeah and we know that like everyone in this building has something to hide so finally seeing down with them face to face and saying like we know almost everything about you or we just need you to confirm some things it feels really satisfying yeah and even though they are very different scenes because they set up this like big pressure moment of like asking the questions, tracking down the culprit to then having the actual moment where a culprit is revealed be so innocuous upon its initial unveiling. I think it works really well to disarm you as a reader. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I thought the other thing that I did want to raise, although this is largely insignificant is I was a little sad that the Suarez Loza family (laughs) never came back. I mean, (laughs) you know, I was, I was kind of hoping when Amelia. so much of the plot dealt with, you know, who had come over from Europe and who wanted what from the laws of Europe and who got married in Switzerland, that this family who'd gone away to Europe had nothing to do with any I mean, of those <laughs> just regular herrings. You know what would have been a fun twist is if the, the story had been, ah, yes, they're away in Europe, but they were actually like in the walls the whole time, <laughs> orchestrating everything. Like, yes, of course. You know, those, those small that small family there that could fit in all those ducks and vents and things like there. Definitely not around, but they're the ones doing all the killing. I would have loved that, but uh, unfortunately, they are. Yeah, they're delegated to off-screen. They do not matter, apparently. So that's exciting. A thing that I did like, though, is that the book really rewarded you. And I don't know if you noticed this, Herds. Oh. Is the book really rewarded you for noticing which languages everyone spoke? Oh, for sure. And. I was very happy with that because it was the kind of thing that was mentioned often enough to where you like knew it was going to be kind of important, 
but also still felt very natural what with how multilingual Argentina no, sure. is historically, I believe. Sure, sure. Um, and then when it comes around at the end and they say like, ah, oh, yes, these two people were working together because if one of them was going to be suspected, his countrymen would probably be roped into it because everyone's still suspicious on the end of World War II. It's true. I thought that was a very clever detail that rewarded you for paying attention. Yeah, it's good, it's good. Uh, yeah, I like that we, uh, we focus on the concrete evidence. We didn't end up relying on st- star signs and, and that, so- that sort of thing, and birth symbols and things. <laughs> uh, instead, we're focusing on the real, the real, like, what do they speak? Where do they live? That sort of thing, where they have access to. It's always good to have a, a murder mission that sticks to that. And it's also really good because it, it still tells a, like, multicultural story without leaning on any cultural stereotypes. It just says For sure. these two people would have been suspected together because the world was still suspicious. Well, except for the, uh, the, the Nazi, I believe. He's still, he's still a bad egg, from what I can tell. Uh, (laughs) well yeah but that's still kind of like set up as his actions you know it's It's like he was a terrible person also he just was a Nazi he just happened to be a Nazi just so that we can all put that on the table which as far as history goes fair enough look I agree I mean that's what this story is about it's about people who came from Germany who just want to live their own lives they want to be away from away from all the Hitler stuff uh, and, and they get pulled right back in it's like a mob story except with you know Argentina it's good stuff. It is. It is. I suppose, Herds, we can uh, put a pause on that there and we will return with the mystery section towards the tail end of the show, covering all of the fair play and other mm. whodunit shenanigans as we usually do. We are discussing Maria Angelica Bosco's death going down, the final two chapters. This is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour. Stick around. The Terra Australis Readers and Writers Festival is on this weekend. An online, international, crime and mystery literary festival. A criminally good lineup. Anne Cleves, Val McDermott, Gary Disher, Candace Fox, Solari Gentile, Anita Heiss and more. There's interviews, book clubs, masterclasses and panels. Hurry, get your tickets for this online event at TerraAustralisFestival.com. Terra Australis Festival sponsors to SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are discussing Maria Angelica Bosco's Death Going Down, Chapter 7 and 8. That is the end of this book. Herds has been in the hot seat. Yeah. And, and the cold this seat. is a book, Herds. Yeah. <laughs> this is a book, Herds, that I am... I'm, I'm tenuous on how many points to give you. I would be too. I would be tenuous. Because... I think you were pretty far off the mark. I still uh, think you got a couple of good things in there. So I you mean, were at least walking away with one the, point. The problem, the, well, I mean, look, I get one point. Hold on. Now. I get one point for posing two different theories. I posed Inara and Eidinger, which yes. Eidinger was correct. And I got the the makeup thing, which I felt pretty good about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that was good because Muck was going to be involved with like sussing it out. But yeah, it doesn't matter. Ignore Muck. Muck doesn't matter anymore. Very sad to me. Mm-hmm. But I was I was very off the mark in terms of the uh, the political intrigue angle and the love dodecahedron, as I mentioned in the in the previous part. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea what was going on there uh, <laughs> because I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Normally, I'm very on top of these sort of love plots and the tropes of that sort of thing. But in this one, I just was like, yeah, look, he's just like a doctor who cares. But actually, he's at the center of many. Uh, women who want to or are currently having an affair with him. Apparently, he's just the most attractive man. Well, this is where the tenuous nature of these points comes in because 
you know, if I was giving points to me, mm. I would have given me the point for two solutions and then one point for the few details, like the murder weapon and stuff that you noticed. But at the same time, I feel like you really failed where your strengths are here, Herds. And I'm, I know. you know, it, it would almost disgrace me to give you points for that. Like, I don't know. Do you want to talk yourself up? No, I mean, look, I'm okay with disgracing you. That sounds like a fine thing for you to do. <laughs> I mean, look. <laughs> Yeah, look, it is a shame that I missed the love triangle. Uh, goodness, I don't know. Like, I'm not good at talking myself up, you entire nerd. Why would you do this to me? Um, I just want you to say nice things about yourself. It's good to be positive occasionally. I'm not good at that. I don't I do not do it very often. I know. I should do it more often. Look, I I did enjoy sort of picking apart the, the who and the how done it. That is something that I was on top of. I don't know how I was supposed to figure out this Amelia Villal, uh, Vibila, Vibia? Is that, you, is that how you pronounce it? Vibia? <laughs> Vibia. Look, this is how much I care about this character. I don't even, don't even, he's not <laughs> even how much this character it's, It really is. But yeah, this Amelia Vibia, like, there was no way I was going to get him. I obviously miss the the love stuff, but like, I definitely didn't fall for any of the, like, regular red, red herrings. That's good. Like, none of these other families up and down the elevator that you were like, oh, yeah. Like they're they're so suspicious. Everyone in the in the group is suspicious. And I day one, I was like, it's either like the old man or or, or the caretaker, and it was definitely not the caretaker. So you know, yeah, Inara was immediately suspicious to me, which is great. I definitely feel good for picking out Serbo Cer- uh, as as like one of the bad guys. I initially thought that he and Eidinger were more like in on it with each other than they really were. Yeah, yeah. But I feel good about picking those two as the bad guys, like. If I were, you know, if I were the Argentinian police department and I said, it's those two, get them officers, like I would have done my job, uh, the bare basics of the job, but I would have done it. That's, that's true. You know what, Herds? I think you can walk away with, with your second point today. Look, I'll take two points. I definitely don't deserve three points. <laughs> so I completely agree. <laughs> I completely agree that the third point is completely out of the, the question. The why was entirely a mess in this story. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, there were, there were definitely were, I think, enough clues in here to talk a little bit about why Frida being killed over the money that her husband wouldn't have got if a divorce had happened was properly set up because they they mentioned pretty clearly that like he was married in Switzerland the law was different over there sure and you know you do have to extrapolate a little bit to understand exactly you what know, you know what the problem is I'll tell you what the problem is the problem is I specialize in unmarried love whereas this is about married love and like I don't understand you that say, stuff that's all I'm saying you say <laughs> as though this lady didn't come the whole way from Switzerland to Argentina <laughs> to divorce affair. her it's husband, true. to have an affair with a man well, yeah, who she knew was here, who was having an affair things. with another woman. Look, that involves divorces and things. I'm not good at that stuff. Although you are correct. Sure. She, look, you're right. She had some kind That's of true right, of love. course, because it's an affair and not just <laughs> blind romance. It's true. It's Young love. suddenly out of your wheelhouse. It's too far. It's too close to married love for my liking. I just, that's... Look, I'm like I'm like Solaire. I'm Herds like that guy. confirmed afraid of marriage. It's true. I'm, I'm like Solaire. I'm like I I'm just gonna hang out and do whatever I want. And let's let's get away from this tangent before this gets weird. But like, look, I'm just saying, keep marriage away from my murder mystery. It just doesn't. I mean, 
Doesn't help. That was one of the weird things talking of Soler <laughs> about this mystery. Uh, is he's set up at the beginning as so incredibly and painfully suspicious. Well, he's, he's too and suspicious. The, Can we talk well, about here's that? The thing. He, he's making your point. We need to talk about the lipstick at some point, though. Good grief. Here's the thing, yes. Is the lipstick <laughs> is incredibly obvious, goes down the side of the elevator shaft, and all is it's just a big mess. Yep. The thing that really surprised me, though, is that by the end of the book, it's like the cast have forgotten Soler is there as well. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> well, he's there. I mean, I, I mentioned this last time. Like, he's there to be like, ooh, maybe people who, like, have nothing to hide will give too many details or too few. Or, or have, have, like, Yeah, yeah. He's there to set up that nervous mindset so he can go back to Eidinger's, conversa- Eidinger's conversations and be like, man, is he telling a lot of details about things and being sure to mention his wife's name a lot? Like, mm. it's almost like he's trying to convince the cops that that he cares about her and that he didn't want her yeah, murdered yeah. horribly. Like, I like that. I like Soler as a piece, but you're right. He also is one of those characters that just, like, disappears. It's kind of interesting because I feel like Emilio Vibilla is in the place in the story that Soler should have been I, at the end. Yes, I agree. I agree. Like, he was being used or something, right? Yeah, the guy who was there as a linchpin but didn't really have a major effect on anything that gets out of dodge at the end. Like, that was what Soler was right from dude, the beginning. if we had a scene which was Soler, like, in the farmstead, covered in pig crap, and just like, well, this isn't where I'd like to be, but I gotta get out of here. Like, he gets on a train at the end and goes off to ruin marriages somewhere else. Yeah, and that's That'd the be thing, great. is because they they set up, right, that, that uh, Vibilla was in the apartment at the time that things happened oh and is thus entirely interchangeable with Soler, but also set up to be a very distinct character. Well, there are definitely some superfluous characters here that I think are I'll just there to like buff things out. What's this? If, what? if someone was, if someone after we post these episodes messages us on social media at Flex and Herds and says, you idiots, they were the same character, I will be very happy Please. and very upset all nah, at the same time. That'd be great. <laughs> I want to see evidence of the Soler equals... Vi- Vibilla, Vibia. Uh, I-, I want that theory to be real. I want that to be a thing because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that would make me very happy. Um, I'll t- can I tell you actually, just while we're on, while we're talking about how- By all means, by all means. I'm, I'm done talking myself up half-heartedly. I want to talk about one of the problems that I have because as we <laughs> all know- heartedly now? As, no, as we all know, I have trouble <laughs> like keeping names straight. It's just the thing that I have. Yeah, yeah. I-, I think of characters by- their role in the story. So the reason why I never in a thousand years would have, and this is a very personal thing, in a thousand years would have suspected looked to have been the center of not one but two affairs in the story mm-hmm. is because when I think of the Doctor character, I think like an old man with a little white mustache and like balding and stuff. Like that's just my immediate image when I think of like, ah, yes, the Doctor in a murder mystery. So they were like, there was no way. What's wrong with having a young hot Doctor in the story? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, I support it. But when it comes to murder mystery, my immediate reaction is like, ah, yes, old man. Like, oh, yes, I'm the old doctor. Ooh. Like, that's I just. Know, I know what kind of books I'm picking next year. As many young hot can doctors we please, as I can find. Can we have lots of murder mysteries set in hospitals with young hot doctors that are They're like, <laughs> yes, I'm so strong with this surgical knife. Stab, stab, stab. That's what I want. I want young, hot, murderous doctors. Yeah. Any gender. I thought the uh, other thing, anyway, you know, in my area, d- yep. despite mm-hmm. this, I, um, <laughs> I, I guess digression Look. on, uh, on affairs and young hot doctors. I, just need to I will clear. say that the one thing that was weird to me is that whilst I think there was evidence of all of the affairs and who was sure. going around with who in this story, sure. it also felt like you had to, in some ways, 
agree with the scathing uh, opinions of women that Maria Angelica Bosco had. I wasn't going to say anything, but yes, this like, I thought that the, the reason why Solaire, who's like the, one of the worst characters in the story who really should have been a criminal, he was like, mm-hmm. what is it about women? That means they always have to stand by their man and they always need a man to like look after stuff. I was like, aha, this is being written by like a young progressive Argentinian lady writer. And so, and so we're going to get a story about how women can kill men, for example, and they're really great at it. Yeah, they say like, you know, oh, why did why did Rita kill herself? Oh, she she wasn't strong enough to to survive on her own. And it it, it doesn't feel like we've rejected that hypothesis at all, which was definitely surprising to me. Yeah, I thought that because as as you were saying there, that like all of the male characters who put these opinions forward, they're dirtbags. You could kind of infer that they were meant to be wrong. Yeah, and that was going to be the crux of things. But to figure out the solution, whilst the solution doesn't disagree you have to kind of make the assumptions that the men do in the story you do and that's another one of the really incongruous things about this is that the book totally does like stand up for the independence of women Mm -hmm. but also requires you to not follow that train of thought to figure it out and i'm like how does how is this meant to work like it reminds me of uh, a certain uh japanese murder mystery no names which was very highly regarded but when we read it the the solution was like you know, because uh, a woman had like slept with another man, thus she had to die. And that was like the solution to the story. And we were horrified. We were like, this is so gross and awful. And I don't like this solution at all. But it was, it was what the author went with. Cause that like culturally for, for that particular person was what they, what they believed and what they went with and that sort of thing. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I have trouble when I read novels internalizing those sorts of logics where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know that I agree with this, so I'm just going to, like, skip over it. <laughs> so that's fine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when we were covering Murder on the Way, that book has some, like, pretty grim racist undertones, mm-hmm. uh, front tones. Oh, yeah. Main notes to it. I, that uh, one actually wasn't too bad, but but yes, please continue. But but in that case, right, you have, as a modern reader, as Jim Noyes said, you just kind of have to, like, clench and bear it. You just get over it because there's so much of it, right? Like, it's so obviously yeah. flagrantly racist. That you just, you're like, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the thing that's nice about some of these stories, right, is that they're secondary. You know, for example, the way that And Then There Were None has been scrubbed but still completely works as a fiction. For sure, for sure. The way that Murder on the Way, well, that was a weird sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Murder on the Way has, like, these very racist notes, but it has very little to do with the plot. Yeah. Whereas this book here, it's, like, central in a way to the mystery, but isn't explicit about it and it's it's so confusing i think is the overwhelming feeling yeah i feel that i I felt that if i wanted to if if i want to interpret this story in the way that like i'm trying to think about you know what is what is the author's lesson you know when i whenever i read stories whenever i watch shows whatever i'm always thinking what is the point what are you trying to teach us with this and and often the make or break between a good and a great absolutely yeah like you come to these stories where i'm like okay so what is the point here what is the lesson and how does the actual murder mystery support that lesson um and i definitely feel like this was a novel where i couldn't quite congruate those those thoughts in my mind i couldn't yeah i didn't feel great about it you know here's my closing thought before we we move on to the next book and let me know if you agree with this oh yeah i Mm -hmm. feel like this is a book that analytically and in a lot of ways I really love, but at the same time wasn't for me. Sure. And I really want to recommend this book so that I can find someone who enjoys it as much as it deserves. Look, I would love to chat with people who 
understand the historical context a bit better than we do and who mm. like have a bit more of an appreciation for this story. Yeah. Cause it's clearly like successful and, and popular and that sort of thing, which is great. Iconic was the word that you used. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Cause we're, we're down to like the pointy end right before review season. And like, I want to put this up the list so people will read it and it can find the audience that it needs. That audience just doesn't happen to be us. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I think that's a, that's a good thought to leave off on that. And we should, we should go on our, our next book. On the trail that we blaze. The last one before review season, Herds. What is it going to be? Better be good. Alrighty, we are going to be reading uh, a little book called Murder in Old Bombay, uh, written by Nev March. Uh, this is a, uh, a a novel about... It's set in India, and it's about colonialism, and it's, it's going to be an interesting time. I hope you're ready for a novel that is one part murder mystery, one part historical documentary one part romance i'm looking forward to it it's a long book you should probably get started on that one flex i i definitely <laughs> will get started i think the other interesting thing herds is we've kind of through uh murder on the way and death going down set ourselves up for a little a little stretch on like colonial stories yeah i i'm really enjoying it and and this is written by a a, a writer of color nev march uh, she actually reached out to me and said that, you know, it could be a good book to cover on the show. So we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And of course, if you have any recommendations for books you'd like us to cover on the show, uh, be sure to hit us up at Flex and Herds on social media. We're about to hit review season, as I mentioned. So that gives us a bit of time to research where our world tour takes us next year. We'd love to hear your recommendations of what to feature and who to have join us on the show like we did with Sean Britton and Jim Noy earlier this year. That is at Flex and Herds, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, my goodness, I'm looking forward to it. What chapters for next week, dear herds? Well, I mean, we're going to be doing up to chapter from chapters one to chapter 24 on murder in all Bombay. Herds, thank you so much for joining me here for Death Going Down. It's been I'm great. very excited to have finally gotten the chance to uh, read this book because as with many of the ones we cover on the show, it's part of my ever increasing and never shrinking to read pile. It's true. It's true. Too many books. It's good. It's good to chip a little one off. We will see you next week on the show with Murder in Old Bombay. This is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour here on 2SER 107.3 and we'll see you then. See you next time. 